Hi, hello, bonjour, and namaste. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I'm your host, Anne Mulitaler. Today, I have the great chance to be joined by Andrew Barry. Andrew and I got to know each other after I signed up for a course that he was leading with Beyond Deck, which was called On Deck Course Creators. So we refer to it as ODCC. The reason I was interested in this course was simple. I am a meditation teacher on the side of being a consultant and podcaster. And since I've moved around so much in the past 20 years, between the UK, US, France, etc., I thought how best to transmit the teachings that I love so much than via an online course. And yes, I already offer some free classes and free guided meditations on Zoom and Instagram and YouTube. But when you're really obsessed about a subject that you want to share with the world, you really want to build up on it. And indeed, that's my case. So instead of trying to go it alone, I found this course very randomly, signed up for it very intuitively. It really did follow my gut. And um, I was so lucky to find the support that I did with Andrew, the wonderful Jackie at um, Beyond Deck, and a cohort of 150 people who were incredibly wonderful and I cannot say more good things about them. So I'll let Andrew share his journey, but suffice to say that whether you understand online learning or not, there is something incredibly interesting and important happening in online learning right now. And so I suggest that you follow me and dig into the subject of transformational online courses. So without further ado, I give you my really wonderful interview (laughs) with Andrew Berry. Enjoy. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome to Out of the Clouds. Thank you so much for having me, Anne. So where am I finding you today? I am in New Jersey in the United States, just outside Manhattan. And you're enjoying um, lovely heat, as I understand? Yeah, it's our turn for summer now, and I I can't complain. I will take extreme heat (laughs) over extreme cold any day. Actually, on that note, can I ask where you're from? Yeah, so originally from South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, Spent most of my life growing up in Cape Town, and then uh, moved here to the States about... 11 years ago now. Oh, right. Um, Can I ask you why the move? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, it was a work move initially. Mm -hmm. I started working professionally in South Africa and got an opportunity to come here for initially a two-year secondment. And I just jumped at it. I thought I loved traveling. I traveled a lot before that. And I thought, wow, an opportunity to live in another country for two years. I've never been to the States. And actually, that's a lie. I came here as a kid with my parents, but I, I never lived here. So but oh, fantastic. Let me give it a shot. And yeah, I never left. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So I'd love for you to start maybe this, this conversation with you telling our listeners who you are and, and what it is that you do. 
Yeah, so I, I like to say I help people teach on the internet. It's something that I've been doing in one form of, or another for 15 odd years. Adult education has been something I've focused on for that time. Working in, we'll get into the details of that, various companies, and then for the last five or six years, my own company. And I think now the thing that is most exciting for me is the is the future of online education. And that's where I spend most of my time, helping others learn how to teach on the internet. Mm. So when I was considering the questions that I could ask you, I thought I'd want to know what were you passionate about when you were a kid or as a teenager? What was a subject matter or something that, that had you really passionate in those yeah, years? I was an absolute sports fanatic, as mm. most kids growing up in South Africa are. So I was huge into rugby, into cricket, into international football. And so I was, I was a huge fan of watching games, watching sports, playing them as well. But I was also always interested in learning about them. This sort of slogan in my head, the more you know, the better it gets, kept coming true for me. So the more I'd like learn about the, the, the individual players or the strategy of the games or like all of that kind of stuff, the more I just enjoyed it. I learned about the stadiums and I started to learn about the history of the, you know, the teams in those cities and learn about the cities. And so I was, always just really curious. I would just go down these rabbit holes. I was passionate about that. Sport was kind of a, a, a jump off point for me, but then I would get into the history of the places. And the um, so history was another huge, huge um, p- passion of mine. I was just like really curious about learning things. I could never stop learning stuff. I'd teach myself a little basic, very basic programming language and then play around with that for a while. And you know, those, those kind of things. It was not any like one topic that I, that consumed me completely. I was interested in so many different things and just learning about them. Mm. And can I ask, what did you study at uni or college? Yeah. So as I got uh, into my, my late teens, I started getting into sort of business. And I, I think I remember when I was deciding what to do for university, I was always very good at maths, logic, like those kind of, those kind of subjects. And so I, I was just like, I'm going to be a CEO of a company. And that sort of was my, my dream at the time. So I studied accounting, I studied finance. I became a chartered accountant in South Africa. And it was, yeah, it was, it was funny. It is funny now to look back and think like that wasn't really, it's not at all what I am doing. Well, I am a CEO of a company, but it's my own company. I never, ever thought I would be running my own company. And I couldn't think of anything worse than running someone else's company. Isn't it fascinating? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love for you to tell me, what was that slogan again that you mentioned? The more you know, the better it gets. Where did you hear that the first time? <laughs> I think it's embarrassingly, it was probably the slogan or whatever for the sports network in South Africa called Supersport. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that's where I got it from. The more you know, the better it gets. So it was like, you know, it was like, so it was like pretty talking about the like talk shows and stuff around. The, the thing which looking at them now, like those are often just um, a load of, you know, whatever. But yeah, I think just that, like the essence of that really st- st- stuck home for me. Mm, that's, I can true, see right? myself in that. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, I was just finishing editing this morning, a wonderful conversation I had with a lady called Nadine Kelly, who's an ex-physician, a pathologist in the U.S., who later on decided to leave her work and become a yoga teacher, particularly for mature women, uh, who she calls wise women. Mm-hmm. She's also a podcaster and she supports, let's say, um, 
the workshops on akimbo, which you may be familiar with, uh, the yeah. Seth Godin akimbo workshops. Yeah. It was fascinating to me because I'm glad I had this conversation before speaking with you because what she was saying about these workshops is that it was the classroom that she'd always dreamt about. Mm. And she went back and sort of revisited what it was like to be at uni and to, you know, to be taught um, by someone who was standing far away at a chalkboard who had his back to the students and her wondering if he even knows that there are people in the, in the room. Yeah. And, and so I, I wanted to use this example to sort of color um, the reason why I'm excited about having this conversation with you today. So I'd love for you to tell us why should people care about online education? Yeah, that's a, it's a great context you provided because it's that, that what Nadine is describing there, I think as many of us who were in the early days, consumers of MOOCs started to see happen online, which was, that that whole like feeling of uh, you know sage on the stage, someone just broadcasting or presenting information and in a lecture, which actually when I look at my university experience was exactly like that. And I was just a quick tangent here. I was a very bad student. I didn't go to lectures that much actually. I realized quickly that yeah, right. I I realized I could learn better just by doing it like in a one month sprint before exams, and then like just enjoy the rest of the the semester to, to myself. And yeah, so once I, I just, that was the, the way I approached it. So I locked myself in a room for a month and then the rest of the year, I'd kind of do what I wanted. Um, and it was because of that, because it was just someone in front of the room with the exception of a few, right? There were a few teachers I had, which I will never forget because they were the antithesis of this, but it's that broadcast of like someone reading you the textbook. It's pointless, right? It feels like a waste of time. So I think that's what Nadine's getting at there with that, you know, even worse, the backs to you just writing on the board. And so in the, in the world of MOOCs, the initial sort of online education was that with a camera put online. So you just now watch it on a screen and, you know, lectures would be two, three, four hours long and you'd watch them. Maybe they'd break them up into 30 minute chunks and, you know, but it was just very much just consuming information, which again, you can read that same information. You can listen to a podcast. There's so many other ways of doing it. And there was no interaction, really. There was probably knowledge checks and that's it. So I think what I'm most excited about now, I think what tech, what tech is enabling is just the, removing all the friction between people being able to interact with each other online. And so, and that's the key because we learn best from each other and we learn by doing and we learn by reflecting and we learn by speaking to each other. And I'm sure your, your experience with this in ODCC may have borne through I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I, I think a lot of people found a lot more value in a breakout room with two or three other people who were at the same or similar stage of the journey as them talking about something that maybe I had said in, in, in the lecture part of it, but the, the real value comes in talking about how it's applied in your life, learning from someone else's life or business. Um, and, and like, that's where it really beds in. And I think what online education now is doing is it's enabling that at scale where we can all get together. You're in Geneva, I'm in New Jersey. And, you know, we had 150 people literally all over the world. And we were able to get together for eight weeks and learn together and have an experience transformations together. Uh, and I think that was just so, so exciting. And so technology has just enabled that to be frictionless, that we can do this, we can get together, click up a button, 
and we hear and we're interacting. And I think people that are now delivering training in an online education world now versus where it was like in the MOOCs are starting to think about how to really use that frictionless technology or, or the way technology is enabling this to, to be more creative with how that teaching and how people and students are interacting and how group work happens. And it's just taken it to a whole nother level where you're getting the best of both worlds because you can still meet in person and have, you know, meetups and kind of knowledge salons, like, you know, in, in ancient Italy and like, you can still have those kind of things. In fact, you can do that online as well, which is, which is really cool. But you can also then deliver information, provide ways for people to interact, assess their, their own knowledge, knowledge checks, track their progress. I mean, it's just, it's the possibilities are endless. Yeah, I'm trying to consider what what was the biggest takeaway for me in terms of the the various courses I've taken and and ODCC in particular. I think for me it was the mix. I like to learn for a, like a a really varied panel of options and yeah. All of these different things just seem to enrich my learning experience. So I loved the lecture part. I loved the interaction. And I was very inspired by everybody. Actually, on this note, before we go any further, I'd like to ask you, what, what was it like to make a selection of these 150 people that did ODCC because that I know that for you and Jackie who supported you in in this it was a very heavy workload mm. but I think that the first the most impressive thing for me when I entered the classroom virtual <laughs> albeit yeah. was how impressed I was not just with you guys but with the rest of the students yeah well, I mean, you're 100% right, first of all, that it's such an important part of, of this whole experience because going back to what I said, we learn best from each other. And, you know, if it was just me, that's one person you're learning from. That's one way of learning. But getting 150 people who have experience in this space, who have a spirit of service was another big thing I look for in people who were also in like a build now mode. They were ready to take action on things like that, those elements together. So experience the, the spirit of service and, and being ready to take action was so, so key. So everyone was out there doing the thing for eight weeks and, and sharing their knowledge with each other and helping each other. Um, and then, so those are the three things we looked for, but what the benefit, I mean, the, it's almost like it was just pure luck to be honest of who applied is that we had such a wide variety of people with different skill sets different backgrounds. And so like you could, we almost created this like, it's like absolute killer agency of people, right. Who could like help you with anything you needed in this whole realm of. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Like you needed someone to talk to about, you know, like understanding your users. There was Tina, like, you know, if you needed some, like, I mean, I'm not going to mention to all of them, but there's just so many. And that's the beauty of this world of online education as well is that everyone has domain experience or expertise that they can share with others. And so we just had 150 of those people all together in, in one space and being able to share with each other was, was remarkable. Yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> um, so 
I I read a post that you wrote rather recently. I think it was it was this year, mm-hmm. where you mentioned about how the early online course creators also gave the space a bad reputation because there were yeah. were marketers out there trying to make a buck of selling something to as many people as possible, right? And obviously, low quality content and sort of profiteering of the of the user is mm-hmm. is not optimal. <laughs> But you added, when courses work, students are transformed. And when students are transformed, they tell other people. Mm. And I thought, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tell me about what transformational course stands for, because I think that's what a lot of people don't necessarily understand. Yeah. Yeah. So the... That that initial thing, which was I think sort of the wave, I think MOOCs you may be able to point as sort of like the beginning of this online education world. And then a lot of people came in and realized, okay, great, I can create this information product. And through you know, and digital marketing, I think existed a bit bit earlier, or at least there are professionals in that space who looked at this as an opportunity to be like, all right, I can create funnels and ways for people to buy this product. And then it doesn't really matter what the product is because I can rely on volume at the top of the funnel and just keep selling it. And so that that is where that bad name came from. When where transformation comes in is that experience that anybody who's taken an online course, we say this in this world of you come for the... Uh, I'm going to try and generalize this. You come for the course content, but you stay for the transformational experience. So uh, we'll talk about like specific ones later, but it's that you come for a writing course and you leave like, you know, a having a conquered in, imposter syndrome, for example, right? Like just like really like transformation stuff where you, you go on this deep internal journey with others, you get out of your comfort zone, you get vulnerable. And the medium is, you know, that particular case happens to be writing online. And so, so that's what a transformational course is. And that transformation is unique to everyone. So it could be completely different for every single person. I've got like eight sort of characteristics of it. And we can go through those now, or if you want to, you want to go. I would love for you to go through that because yeah. I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, so so we can. I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. I've gone through a lot of these yourself. Sure. So, so transformational online courses, and this is for a bit of sort of background and history for people. Like when I was creating ODCC, I sat down to write sort of a manifesto. Of what is this thing? And I I'd coined the phrase TOC transformational online courses back in November. So before I joined on deck, before ODCC was a thing, uh, and for, well, first of all, it was from my own experience. And, and the writing courses, a particular writing course I'm referring to, write a passage where I took that and I was 100% transformed by the end of it. And as a better, better writer, better business owner, entrepreneur, better person, all of these things. And so I spent a lot of time thinking like, what did they do that was so powerful? And, and that's where I started writing online, taking that experience, writing that online and sharing those thoughts. That's when things really started clicking for me personally in this world was that that reflection. So I was able to bring my 15 years of experience in adult learning and look at, well, what are these really amazing course creators doing who are the pioneers really of this space and sort of like start to like codify it a bit for people. And so this translated into this idea of TOCs and, and these eight principles. And so the first one, and I think one of the most important is that it's student-centered. So everything you do is, is centered around the needs of the learner and and even to the point where you're giving the learner multiple opportunities to reflect 
on why they're doing this course. What is their personal meaning in it? And the really good online courses all do that through a lot of their activities, a lot of their reflection exercises. And that just helps you. Motivation is so, so key to learning. And if you're connecting with that why, you've got that intrinsic motivation that comes to the fore, right? And that's the most powerful one. And so uh, versus extrinsic. So so that's that's a big part of it. So it's student-centered, right? The next thing is it's trust-based. I've talked about this in ODCC. It's it's so learning is hard. You have to like get out of your comfort zone. You've got to trust the process because it's not always clear right at the beginning that you're actually learning anything, right? And and so you've got to really trust the process. And what that means actually is you have to trust the teacher. You really have to trust the teacher. So that trust-based piece is so important. As a teacher, what that means is you need to be credible and you need to communicate your credibility and you need to be very clear in signposting what the learning journey is like throughout. So people always know that there is a process, there is a method to it, that you may not feel like you're learning something now, but you actually are. You know, give them ways to see that. So that's another huge part of it. The, the, the third one is that it's community-based. So it's just all the stuff that we started talking about, right? That's not a sage on the stage presenting information, but it's it's more of a guide on the side, as, as our friend Cam Hauser talks about, where the teacher's giving guidelines for the, the community to learn from each other. And so that exactly that experience you were saying about in breakout rooms and, and that kind of thing. And we can go, that's like a whole massive topic around that as well. But the, the fourth one is it's outcome-based. There is a transformation. There is an outcome. I always, it's like by the end of this course, you will be able to fill in the blank, right? That's another thing. It's hybrid in format. So there's a lot of talk at least in the way I see it, TOC is that they're hybrid because you get CBCs, another term that's going around, you know, coined famously last year, cohort-based courses. So very much focused on the live experience. Then you get evergreen courses, which are obviously the opposite end of the spectrum, much more just on-demand consumption of, of information. But I think the best are a bit of both. And in the work I do with my company, Curious Line, for the B2B stuff, other companies... We're creating hybrid stuff where people need content to consume in their own time. And they also need that live interaction. So hybrid is, is, is very key. The, another one, a small point of it is that it's platform agnostic. And this is really me trying to say to people, like, don't worry so much about the platform and the tech. The most important thing is, is the teaching. If you can just get a Zoom call and have three or four people on it and you can teach them, and, and have them interact with each other. There's community, there's trust, there's, you know, it's centered around them, all of that. You, you've got, you've got something. The platform is just Zoom, right? So you can then layer in the platform later on, but it's platform agnostic is, is quite, is quite important. And then the last two is it's an asset and it's a passion. So the asset piece is that it's once you've created a way, successful way to deliver your information to create transformations goes back to that point you were saying earlier which is that quote that you used of mine which is people will tell once you transform students they will tell others right and and so so it becomes an asset so many more people want to once you've solved the problem for one person Mm. the others will then come out and some in the really great ones people don't even know it was a problem until they start to see this transformation and they're like, oh, wow, like, that's, that, that, that's mm. the, the really powerful move. And then the passion part is just that this is, I know now talking from experience with ODCC, one of the hardest things you can ever do. You really have to care about it. 
Like you really, really need to be passionate about what you're teaching and the transformation you want to see in your students. Mm. Yeah, this resonates and I appreciate how much you've um, analyzed it because it feels completely true to all of the best courses I've done. And for our listeners, I am a course enthusiast. <laughs> when I left um, my corporate job in 2017, I had made a very, very conscious decision. I said it out loud. Out loud. I wrote about it. Um, I told my friends that I wanted to make room for learning. Mm. And I had no idea about what was out there for me to learn. Yeah. But I really did make a lot of room. And, and, and I've had amazing experiences. And absolute rubbish experiences as well. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody wants new, um, some pointers about what not to do, I can very happily well, direct I'd you. Love to hear, I'd love to hear one example. Like what's like one of the worst experiences you've had? You don't have to mention the name. Sure. No, I, I wouldn't mention the name because that, that would be unfair. There is a, a writer and communications coach who sells a course for, I think, around $2,000, which was sold as a hybrid course. But the only Zoom call that was included was somebody else who's an mm -hmm. alumni from her course, giving some background information about legal stuff to yeah. do with publishing. Everything else was recorded posts and recorded Zooms from 2016. And mm. the reason why that doesn't work is, well, first of all, when it's 2020 and we're in the middle of a pandemic, you have to be careful about oh the kind gosh, of recommendations yeah. you make. And also there were, there were a selection of guests who were all very knowledgeable, but a lot of whom talked about social media and, and promotion for people who want to establish authority as writers and coaches. And none of these are relevant. None of these are relevant because they were recorded in 2016. And as we both yeah. know, things have moved on a bit. <laughs> yeah. So it, the thing that was fascinating is that for the similar price, there was another coach and writer who offered a six months life course where she did Zoom calls twice a week. One that was mm. lecture based and one that was so like a webinar, but where people mm. were interacting and communicating with her. And the second one was, which was more like a lab course where she was directly engaging and coaching people with all of the materials, the assets, the recordings you can imagine. So it was fascinating to see for a similar price, the various possibilities and value. And of course, one of these people, I won't stop talking about. Yeah, <laughs> And that's exactly. the one who was good. I mean, yeah. I literally have written about her, I think five times already in my newsletter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, right? Like you, you felt like you just got more value then you, then you, then you deserve maybe for whatever you paid, right? Like that, that, that's the key. Like you feel like you're just getting overvalued in, in terms of what you, you paid for. That is, that's a transformation right there. You had all these ways to go about that, all the, the access to her, the, the content, all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you're not going to stop telling people about that. Totally agree. Yeah. And actually after I, we finished the course together, I actually, I wondered who has helped her and putting together the course because it's so thoughtful. The management of the interactions with all of the participants, because I think it was around the same amount of people as you had for ODCC. Mm. So, you know, this is a, a high volume. But anyways, that was very transformational for me. Yeah. So I'd love to hear from you. 
what was one takeaway from one of the courses that you did that brought you in that transformation realm? I will, I'll use another one because I talked about the writing one already, but the, the, they were both quite similar. The second course is Robbie Crabtree's performance speaking. So now I know you, you know him through, through OECC. I didn't know him that well. And before I took that course, I met him in Rite of Passage. He was one of those students that was just out there helping everyone all the time. And then he launched his course on the back of that. And I, I wasn't sure about it. I, it was on speaking. I, I sort of taught speaking back in South Africa and I thought, like, I thought I was pretty good at it. And, but anyway, I, I wanted to support him. I thought he, what he was building was really interesting. I wanted to learn more about it. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll learn something myself as well. So I took the course and I was just blown away by how much I transformed my, and so much of it was confidence actually of like the, the confidence to say what you mean. Like that was for me, was like a huge, huge part of it where I felt like before I was possibly like over elaborating on things, felt like the need I had to explain myself and so the process of, it was a five-week course, the process of doing, you know, you, you got rubby sessions, so you could learn from someone who's clearly an, an expert at this. But then the practice part was so, so key. And the practice was, the, the deliberate practice element of it was important, but also the practice itself was the t- assignments we had were like reflective as well. So there was an element of reflection. So very first pr- uh, assignment, you have to create a video talking about your core values. And I, oh my God, and I did that thing probably seven or eight times, recorded it, like edited, and I was never happy with it. In fact, I was embarrassed by it often because I was just like babbling. Like I did, it was so like unclear, but through doing it seven or eight times and then like eventually publishing it in the community, getting feedback and redoing it, I got so much better, not just in how I was communicating my values, but actually like in my own clarity on what those values were. That was, I'm not getting like goosebumps thinking that was transformational because you see, you get other people's reactions to it and you can tell as well, even just watching it yourself, like you might think something's a value, but you can tell you're not authentically communicating and you're like, okay, maybe that's actually not a value. Like, you know, maybe I would just want that to be. And so like you can keep refining that until you get it down to like really the core essence of what you're trying to get across. And so that was just an absolute eye opener for me. And so after that, that first assignment, I was brought in. I did, you know, I just completely consumed myself with that course. And it was amazing. Every assignment built on, on the one before it. At the end, we had this sort of TED talk type capstone. And every single person that did it, I, my wife and I was the last week of the course. We, and there were evening lectures. I, I put it on the TV and, you know, she hadn't done any of the, the previous four weeks, but we watched everyone else's together. And it was just so incredible to see the transformations that people went through. And to then realize like that you had gone through that yourself and to obviously seen your own one. So yeah, I mean, that was, that was just so well done and, and so transformational. And, and then also just being speaking, it's like a, a naturally vulnerable out of the comfort zone thing for so many people. So it was just so cool to see everyone put themselves out there. That sounds absolutely amazing. Actually, I was coaching someone yesterday um, who I can tell would benefit from that. (laughs) And I'm thinking, uh, check, I want to sign up to that course as well now. Oh, you'd love it. I don't know if I was putting that in the um, questions, but I did read a great post of yours about core values and how important it is to to know your core values before you 
building yeah. thing. I'm curious to find out from you if you had done this kind of exercise before and, and what may have failed in, in the past. I think I know which post you're talking about. I'm trying to think if that was written before or after performance speaking. It was, I think, again, it was still for 2021. I tried not to go back too long. Okay. So it was probably after, yeah. And that one talks about how I clarify one of my big personal values. Yes, is, yes, is yes, yes. That was the yeah. one. That was fantastic. Yes. And that just so many decisions I made based on that. The point of that particular piece is that I realized for myself that clarifying your values just creates so much more clarity in everything else you do, just how you spend your time, the decisions I was making and stuff. So, and I didn't, so to answer your question about why, I, I just don't think I was, I had that rigor or that discipline to actually sit down and journal or, or think about what those core values were. And I'm trying to think now if I had done that before, as deliberately before the performance speaking course, and maybe not actually. And, and I think that's probably the thing, like it, just that having to like, it was a forcing function to it, that I had to sit down, I had to r- write these things out. Not only did I have to write them out, I had to record myself doing them and then share that video with people. Like that's scary. <laughs> that was <laughs> oh really scary. God, that's scary. Yeah. yeah. So that like, that makes it, takes it to a whole new level. And you really have to think carefully about what they are, how you're communicating them, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I think just there's so many like meta layers of learning that were going on there that just really drew it out of me of what, what those core values were. Um, so I don't mm-hmm. know if that answers your question, but like... I think it the, does, yeah. Yeah, it was so important to do that. But you know what's fascinating about what you're saying here? So a couple of years ago, I did my yoga teacher training mm-hmm. and... At the same time, I was doing a two-year course to become a meditation mindfulness teacher. And I did the Alt MBA with Seth Godin the year before. But the one thing that these have in common with what you're describing is the reflection or contemplation piece, whichever way you want to talk about. And so it's fascinating the level of shifts that I underwent that at first you don't notice. It's almost, you know, that's such a deep layer, like seismic nature, where the, yes. there's deep meta layers moving. And then yes. later on, you have major changes that happen, but you kind of didn't see it coming because it happened so deep down. And I think the contemplation is the thing that made it transformative for me for each of these courses, including yours. Yeah. And I had such big aha moments that were so unexpected Yeah, out of stories that I'd been telling myself for years that were so clear in my mind. And yet I was missing. So anyways, <laughs> I just, that's very I just cool. Lo- yeah. I love your metaphor there. Cause that's exactly how I visualize it. Mm-hmm. That it's this like core of the earth movement. The consequence of this is that Often, you know, with that, like you only feel the earthquake later on, right? It's like, and so that's exactly what happens as well. Like you don't know that's happening and you feel the effects of it later on. And then you realize like, oh, if you're present, you realize like maybe that's where it came from. Yeah, like that's exactly how I, I picture it. Yeah. So I became quite good friends with a couple of people back in the old MBA in 2017. And I'm hoping that I'll stay good friends with quite a few people from ODCC. Yeah. And one of the things I'm expecting is... And I'm already seeing some changes that I've made recently in my life is that when you are dropped into deep contemplation about your values, about your purpose, about what you care about, you end up making changes because once you see what really matters, not following 
that path means that you're out of line, out of integrity with yourself. And it's hard to deal with that. And generally, I I have found in my life a few years ago that this is when there are eruptions, (laughs) you know, almost volcanic in nature, because you're, I'm going to lean on on Martha Beck, uh, the coach who I'm studying with, who talks about the social self and the essential self. And so I think that when, when the essential self is in strong clarity about purpose, it will explode structures if you don't respect or listen to it. I love that. Not necessarily a very pleasant moment when it happens. Yeah. So here's another thing to add to that as well. What's actually, what's interesting about this for me from a learning perspective is that there, there is um, a school of thought that informs a lot of what I do, which um, is constructionism and constructivism come from two gentlemen, Seymour Papier and Jean Piaget. And I forget which of them actually said this, learning happens when people are actively engaged in something that is meaningful to them. And so that kind of brings it full circle, right? It's beautiful. Like you, so that's why I always tell teachers, like give students time to connect with their meaning so that they, that can make that connection explicit. That sounds absolutely wonderful. Thanks so yeah. much for sharing that. Now, I, I noticed I took quite a few questions actually out of the, you have a $5 email course available, yeah. um, which I think is, is wonderful entry in, into learning for anyone who's interested about creating an online course. And mm. actually, I want to say to everyone that you are incredibly generous on your website on Curious Lion. And several of the blog posts that I've read, I have found exceptionally helpful. So and I'll put some links in the show notes. Thank you. Um, you said early movers, so people who start building online courses are going to be rewarded. And I see that, you know, early movers, people who are going to be early adopters are going to get some rewards. But I was wondering whether you'd speak a little bit more about this. Yeah, I, funny enough, I've actually just been thinking about it recently this, this week and, um, and we'll be writing more about this. But so, so let, let's hash it out because this, this is a fun topic. I think there's something interesting about early movers. I was also researching remember his name now, who, who came up with the idea of innovation adoption theory. It's that curve um, of Absolutely. crossing the chasm. Yes, yeah. crossing the chasm. And, yeah, it's not actually that guy. It's He re- references someone else's work, which is the discovery I recently made. But anyway, that, that, whole, that whole idea is true for this as well. I think what's interesting is that people who... We're, at the, we're in the Wild West of online courses still. You and I, like, are, you, you say you're an enthusiast... I think you could also say a learning online course nerd, right? Like just want to do as many as possible. I'm exactly the same. And, and that world is still pretty small, right? There are, a lot, there are not that many people. I mean, I, I'll say it like this. I know a lot of people, friends of mine who happen, I think most of them happen to also just be in jobs still kind of in that knowledge economy or knowledge worker economy who don't even know online courses really exist and probably think like it's kind of weird that I have friends on Twitter that I meet in online courses. And, and so, um, and so, so, and I think that is still the majority of people who are in that boat. So we're the early adopters, and as course creators, we're the, we're the same, right? We're the ones seeing the potential for this, and then realizing. I also talk about how I think everyone has an online course in them, so there is some knowledge and expertise that you can share with the world. And an online course is a, a teaching online, teaching on the internet. So in a learned skill, you can, you can learn how to do that and you can then share that with people 
at scale. So if we're at that very early stage, people who are doing it have the opportunity to become opinion leaders. And I think a lot of us are becoming that, are are that, in that we are, I wouldn't say like setting the rules or anything like that, but like we're like shaping what this is. We're defining what good looks like in a lot of this, right? By by doing it, by talking about it, by, by consuming it as well. So that's, I think, is, is, is an opportunity for early adopters in this space. And then all the benefits of being an opinion leader in a space when, when the early majority or even the late majority starts to come to the space is huge. And, and so I don't think we even need to, you know, talk about that. I mean, the potential of that is, is just huge. And as, as more people start to realize that online courses are an, viable alternative to traditional education in the, you know, sort of secondary and, and well, probably tertiary more um, space, but also in the professional space where like I'm, I'm very in the corporate learning world and that is still very traditional, very broadcast base. And, and that's slowly changing. And, and imagine like a world in which people working at companies like big, especially in regulated industries, accounting, where I come from, pharma, law, or, you know, legal, that kind of thing, start to, to know that, you know, like I imagine like a whole, like the legal profession, learning the principles of writing online and um, just like the benefits of that kind of thing. It, it's just going to open up a whole can of worms of real skills, real behavior change that people are not actually getting. I think people will realize, people will just connect with that. Like, anybody who goes through that kind of transformation knows it when they feel it and knows that that's something, especially when it's something that they're not used to feeling. They're like, well, I'm, I need more of that. I want to keep having that, right? Because I'm not getting that in in the time I spent learning in, in my job. And, and so I think then that just creates like a, a tidal wave of new demand and new interest in the space. And then all of us who've been doing this for a while will, will benefit from that. Yeah, that's um, that's beautifully explained. I see that as a tidal wave. Yeah. Like you, I have very, very few friends who've done any kind of online learning. And those who have found an interest or a potential teacher who's very well known, who they may learn from, are not necessarily keen to give themselves the extra work on top of whatever they're doing in their day jobs. And I was writing about the, the first time I started doing learning as an adult was actually learning Italian in I want to say 2010, 2011, just for fun. I had no reason to do it, but I really wanted to learn it. And so I had this teacher that came to my house and then she left and then I traveled to Mexico. And I realized, I thought, I always thought I could speak a couple of words of Spanish and it turns out I couldn't. And I was so mortified. And so I thought, damn, fix that. So I took myself to a Spanish teacher and she came to my work and I worked very long hours. And Whenever she would come up at like 7 p.m., I'd get really pissed off with myself going, damn, I have too much work. I don't want to do this. But obviously, I'd, I wouldn't be mean. I was, go- I was not going to send her away. And within three minutes of sitting down, I'd be the happiest girl in the world. And so there's a really weird thing where it's not just that le- these learning courses are bringing something transformational. But for some reason, for me, at least, they're balancing something in my brain. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I feel the same. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to see if I can like, like, what is that? It's some, 
we're yeah. tapping into a different area. So it's giving rest to this other part that is used to be doing, I don't know, my accounting or copywriting yeah, for clients. Produce, yeah. Or even producing a podcast. And so when I give myself the opportunity to move from one type of work to another type of work, this learning work seems to provide me with a release or a relaxation of some form. It's quite fun. Do you think I, yeah, totally agree. Do you think it's, do you think the elements of discovery, the sort of the joy of learning something new is a part of it? It's almost connecting with that childlike aspect, right? That's a huge part of this, I think. Yeah. I'm connecting to the name of your company, Curious Lion. I think, so what I've learned in, in the course of becoming a teacher in mindfulness meditation is that you can't be in two states at once. And one of the first things that you, that you can tap into when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're unhappy, is to become curious about your own state. And yeah. that's what you do in mindfulness. So instead of so watching your own thoughts, watching your body, watching your breath, becoming curious about the experience you're having... <laughs> takes you away from whatever else you may be feeling. So you're right. I think curiosity is, is, yeah. a, big, is a big factor. This has become so clear to me having a, a son now. It's 15 months old and just like seeing that joy that comes through. Like, at first it was funny because I was like frustrated with him, like wanting to get into things that, you know, clearly would probably like, you know, burn his hand or something. And it's like, what are you doing? But I was just like, the more I observed it, the more I realized he was just, taking so much joy in, in figuring out stuff and not even figuring out, just, just experiencing things and just like observing them and learning about them. And yeah, that really kind of made me, me think more about that. The, the curiosity piece again, it's so, so, so key. There's a joy mm. in it. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I'd love for you to tell me about why is tech interesting, if not essential? Because I agree with you. Zoom is enough to become a teacher or actually, you know, face-to-face, whatever you want to do. But how will tech be able to support this at scale? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an excellent question. And it, it's the right question to ask once you've realized you can do this and you start to do this for a few people. And I think it, the key to it is scale. That's where, you, where it enables... It enables like you. We could have had you and I could have a, a teaching series of, of teaching sessions like this, where you could teach me mindfulness meditation. I get so much value out of it because I could ask you questions. We could practice things together. But that that's not you. That's not scalable for you. So you as a teacher, how do you start to scale that? And that's where tech comes in really, really valuable. I think the thing I'm most excited about is this idea of kind of a CRM for students. So an ability to keep track of individual student progress, wants, reflections, needs, or you know, all, all of that sort of stuff that, yeah, like just assessments, everything in one place, where as a teacher, when you're having an interaction, because I think the thing I struggled the most with the NODCC was that there were so many different people. I first of all, I couldn't get to every individual request, but when I tried to, I didn't have context always for where the person was coming from, from that interaction. And then it's a lot of like digging and trying to like go back. And so having all of that in one place to be able to pull up a student profile really quickly and see like the whole history of interactions, like why is this person doing this course? Where are they now in their journey? All that sort of stuff helps you make a, a really quick 
you know, response. And there's some companies now working on, on that particular things an SRM, you know, student relationship management. So I think Amazing. that's an, yeah. student relationship management. <laughs> and so it's someone actually who came virtually who, who came and spoke to us at ODCC and I've, I've become quite good friends with their founder ish. And oh, uh, yeah, I was there during that session. He was great. Ish Bain. Ish Bain. Yeah. Really cool. And so what he's doing now is a bit of a pivot in that they were a, a tooling platform for, for code-based courses, but they're now really focusing in on the SRM part of it, which I think is so smart and so, and so needed. So that's, that's one example. And there you can, you can start to add more and more people and just be able to have that context right at hand as a teacher and, and as not just the teacher. So you can bring in mentors. And so they have access to that. And, you know, so it just, everything in one place is, is so key. And then the, the other, the other side of it is, is allowing students to have that interaction with each other at scale. So, so what does that look like? You know, people, we use Slack in ODCC, others use Circle. They have their pros and cons, you know, there's no, and so I think there's still space for people in that area to, to innovate and create new things. Yeah. So, yeah. I actually found out that Luma is launching communities, actually. I, I saw that. Very yeah. excited to see what that looks like. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Cause I was originally thinking about using Slack because so many people I know use Slack that I feel like if people already use it in their day job and it's easy to see the visibility of the various yep. platforms, then it's easy to switch. Yeah. It's a, it's a big one. And it's yeah. we're starting to think of what happens next um, with our, our new venture after this, where we're having that exact same debate, you know, and, and we're looking at, at a different platform called Scale Growth. There, it's a very interesting take on community building. It's very modular. So you can kind of, make it what you want um, it to look like. And so, yeah, it's tricky, but that, that whole switching cost thing is a huge part of this now as well. Like do people, yeah. are people going to be familiar with a whole new platform? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's an enabler. I, that, the biggest message I want people to think about is just that it's not, you shouldn't start with that as your question. You know, it should be something that's like, once you know what, what it is you're doing, how you deliver your transformations, then find the, the tech that enables that. And there are so many great options out there and they continue to be iterated. I, I want to go back just one step and talk mm-hmm. about in, in that email course, I, I loved the fact that you were targeting, as you said, educators or experts, entrepreneurs or hobbyists, coaches or consultants. And I really wanted for you to talk me through this target group. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Your, your first point, educators or experts, those are definitely more opposite than the, the other two groupings. But in general, that, that whole group as a target audience goes back to what I was saying. I think everyone has an online course in them. If you go through every single one of those, right? Coaches, consultants, clearly entrepreneurs, even hobbyists, like if you, hobbyists, like use that as an example. If you can sh- teach someone else how to, to do that hobby, you know, to, to find the same joy that you, that you find in it. As an entrepreneur, you're delivering a service or a product to people. And as a co- coach or a consultant, you're offering advice. In all of those cases, you are helping people improve their life, their business, their career, whatever it is, right? And if you can do that in a one-on-one setting, and you can do that in a repeatable way. Now there's more like change out the person and do it with another person, another person. Then there's no reason why you can't teach that to a lot of people and, and at scale. That's sort of my theory. I, I think that's why all of those people have online courses in them. And 
the, the, the skill of teaching is a skill. It can be learned and you can get better at it. And so my goal with, with that, like you said earlier on with that course is to the email course is to introduce people to some of the concepts and the thinking behind that. A lot of what we've talked about today comes through in there. It's also set up in a way where it's a quite like practical. So at the end, there are questions to think about and reflect on and some actions recommended next steps to take. And, and my goal is to people to realize that this isn't actually, it's not just a pipe dream. It's not just something that like other people do. It's something that you can do. And for some, it may actually be your main thing. It may be, you know, the thing that you, you build your business around. Yeah. So I think that's sort of the goal there. And I, I, I look at all of those avatars as sort of people with the potential to teach others. Mm. Yeah, one of the things that I felt I would have wanted a little bit more of is to talk about the seat of the teacher because people look up to a teacher. Mm-hmm. And for me and, and for a lot of people I know, it feels like a very serious step. <laughs> yeah. Some people may see it as a revenue-making process. For me, I see it as a responsibility, actually, towards the students. Personally, I feel like there's a lot of reflection to be done around the motivation behind becoming a teacher and, and what it is that you want to leave people with. That's, that's my personal two yeah. cents on this. I was very impressed, actually. I was listening to your um, podcast episode with Ali Abdel, who mm-hmm. has an amazing course. Yeah, part-time yeah. YouTuber. Yeah. But I was incredibly impressed to see that he takes, or he and, 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 and his team were taking so seriously their attempt to build a community and, and seeing that it wasn't giving the right value to so many people. And they yeah. refunded $120,000 worth of yeah. subscriptions instead of, of cashing in and, yeah. and, and being okay with people not finding sufficient value in their course. So yeah. that felt like a good tie-in with, my, <laughs> with yeah. that kind of responsibility of being a good teacher and, and taking it seriously. Yeah, and I think the benefits of doing that is it shows, like you said, it shows you really care about it. Ali wouldn't do that if he if he wasn't passionate about teaching as well. And so he wants to keep doing that. And so that gesture, realizing, hey, like this part of this of my course, you know, that community was like it was a separate piece, just is not delivering the value that we want to be known for. And you know, the courage to cut that loose, refund everyone their money. I think it's also, you know, so, so that was a great gesture. I think also it will benefit in the long run and that people will see that, okay, that's actually, this guy, this guy really means what he's doing, right? And, and I think he'll see the, the benefit of that through his future cohorts and, and all of that. But yeah, you're 100% right. The responsibility of this is, is massive. And you've, if you do get into this space, you've got to take it seriously. And you've got to have that passion to begin with, but then you really got to own the responsibility. And you're right. I think we need to talk about that a lot more. Now, for those who are interested in doing an online course, I think the other thing we need to talk about is how to sell the course. And yeah, personally, I really have a problem with self-promotion, which is funny when someone has a podcast and yeah. there is a bit <laughs> of a, there is internal tension. That's for sure. I loved an article that you actually had on your website, which was called Perfect Sales Offer Online Course. I'm going to yeah. put that post up. That is so good. But can you talk to us about how to sell a course for those like me who don't want to sell stuff in general when it's yeah. got to do with ourselves? 
Yeah, I mean, that's what is one of the hardest things. Talk about imposter syndrome, right? Like, who who am I to 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 sell this to people? And then there's there's always just this element of sales which feels like icky and gross. And so, to me, I think that the way to navigate this is to be as authentic as possible in what you're doing. To be able to do that, you have to know. You have to be able to deliver value. You have to lead with that value. And you have to provide insane value. And I, I believe that you should start by giving that way for free and actually even continue because I'm talking about this for a second and then I'll sort of come back to like how it applies to sales and that, and that post. But a lot of people think that like if you give away the stuff for free, like you mentioned on my website through Twitter, that it's all out there, like uh, then no one's going to buy it from me because why would they? It's all there for free. But it doesn't actually work like that in practice. People want, no matter how much you can provide out there, People will always still want to pay for some curation, some implementation advice, community, all those other aspects of the course of, of a course, which you, is a way you can package it as a product. So, so first of all, like disassociating that as like a as a, as a risky move of just giving away the value is is key. Once you've kind of made that mindset shift, you can just start pumping out just great content, great value for people, and just start teaching people. Through for free through through these through these means through writing through videos through whatever podcast and so that becomes like a great top of the funnel way of of demonstrating your credibility demonstrating your expertise providing value and building relationships as well so a part of the sales thing is just having people get as many different time, uh, types of interactions with you as possible through all your different types of content through different channels. And, and also just also starting to learn your personality so they can build a, a, a relationship and trust. So, so okay. So, the, and then from that point, you then need to be thinking about getting people to register interest. So you got to resist the urge of like, oh, cool. Wait, you, you've signed up for my newsletter and now I'll buy my products, right? You've got, there's like a lot that happens in between that. And so the big part there is, so there's nurturing and then there's a, a, a register of interest. Like, I, and and what that looks like is in practice is basically saying, hey, I'm going to do this thing. This is what it's going to look like. Are you interested in learning more? And you slowly, so someone, someone, you get a, a a yes there, which is a lot easier yes than I'll buy it from you. But it's it is already a step in that direction, right? So so now you have people that have like expressed interest in learning more, and and so you start to like do that and uh, layer that into, you know, maybe they sign up for a Q&A call. And so now they've taken time, they put time aside, they're going to join you for that. It's a free thing, but they're going to learn more about it. And, you know, so you, you slowly build up to, to the release of the, of the product, release of the demand for the product as well. And then where that post comes in is, is knowing how that mindset shift in the consumer happens, in your future student happens. Whether you like it or not, you have to think about this. It's, it's the hardest part. Uh, well, Teaching, we talk about how teaching is hard, but it's, it is possibly harder to actually get people to buy that from you, right? Because like, you know, that once people have committed to it, like, you know, you can deliver your transformations, but there's a lot of uncertainty in, in, in the whole buying process. So that piece talks about, I think it's five or six like mindsets that the consumer goes through from uh, being problem unaware. So like, they don't even know the problem exists to like, to like problem aware, then solution aware. So that, so they know that they have the problem. Now they know there is a solution for the problem. Now they know about your solution. And, you know, so it's like goes further and further. And then it's like, they're not interested in actually buying from you. So that was why that's helpful. And there's just different ways of communicating with people at different stages of that, of that journey. 
And so as you're basically applying the, the, the ideas of that post into what we were talking about of, you know, you've got people who have registered interest that they're, they're thinking about buying. And then, so you get them to that point and then you, you release the demand. You say like, this is, and then there's stuff to think about there around, you know, uh, creating scarcity and urgency and, but doing it in a, an authentic way. Like it, it's actually, it, it is legitimately a, a scarce resource. You can't teach thousands of people in, in one go. Like, you know, when you hear a course creator say there's only space for 50 students in this cohort, that's true. Cause it's actually really hard to teach with, to, to more than that. And so those things also help play into that and get people who are, are ready to, to buy and, to over the line. And, and those that aren't, you've, you've also got to think about them, like keep nurturing them, keep providing value. And back to what we talked about right at the beginning of this, that needs to keep happening in the background because those people might not be ready now, but they might be in six months. And if you're not staying top of mind by providing yeah. constant value, you're going to lose them. You're so, so right. Because there was, there was a course I, I was hesitating on last year. But in the meantime, the few, the few emails that I got from that coach were exceptional. Mm. You know, when someone's writing is just so on point and everything was phenomenal. So yeah, she, I want to say she had me at hello, but that wasn't true. She had me at at an email post about integrity. Mm. And I really wanted to share it with people, but it's not on MailChimp. You can't share the link. So anyways, it was so good. Yeah, but that's it, right? That's it. Like it's that type of value that it's, something inside you vibrated and you were just like, all right, that is... Listen, I tried for like a good five minutes to see how I could forward, embed or link it. That's how good it was. So once anyone wants to share the free resource you're offering, they are already over the line and and probably ready to commit to whatever you're going to be selling. Yeah. I'll say the last thing on that though is that even in that case, there are still things like timing it may not be the right time for that person, all those kind of things and that's so you need to also be okay with that like it you can't force people to buy it from you there are a lot of things that need to go right for that and so all of this stuff we've talked about you need to be doing all the time because it's just because it's not just like you're going to do it and there's a finite time and then everybody will buy from you there are a lot of other factors going on as we all know as consumers ourselves yeah i find that one of the most important things for all of us who are building companies, products and projects, any of these things is that time is important and consistency is important. Yeah. I have one particular client who I love and who is so keen. I admire her. (laughs) She has so much passion and she's so dedicated to her work. At some point, if she continues, if she's consistent and she delivers, it will do. But I think that, you know, you have to keep at it. You have to keep at it. Yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to know why your company is called Curious Lion because it's such a good name. Yeah. All right. Thank you. It's, yeah, it's an evolving story as I think any, any name has to be because there's no like grand scheme behind this. There was no team of consultants behind it. It was a lot of trial for you. (laughs) (laughs) It was initially going to be called Lion's Pride Learning. So that'll give you some context. So I always wanted to have the lion piece in it. And Lions Pride of like, you know, Lions Together. And the Lion thing is, is a nod to South Africa, the homeland for me. And, and also I am a Leo and like, so, you know, the star sign element comes into it. So I always wanted the Lion to come through and I've always had an affinity for Lions throughout, you know, 
growing up in South Africa. Then I thought about the curious part and you touched on, we talked about like how the beauty of curiosity, the joy of it, like that, that element is, is definitely in it, but there's actually, there were two initial ideas behind it was the, the power of good questions and how, like, I found that that was one of the best values we provided. I kept saying we, but in the early days, it was just me, even though the name, it was a company called Curious Line. It was just me. It was the, the value I was providing was in the, the, the questions I was asking, much like yours, which, you know, for those who, who don't see behind the scenes and puts an incredible amount of thought into this. And I had like a whole bunch of questions, well-researched that she sent me ahead of time. And it's that that drives conversations like this. And those questions in, in the context I work in drive the, the content extraction we do with clients to get their ideas down and be able to then design a course for them. So there was that curiosity. And then also just curious in, in the sense of strange and different. So I wanted that to come through as well. I take a very different approach to a lot of traditional corporate training. And so it was always that. It was like the power of questions and the strange, you know, different connotation. And it's funny because like going back to our talk about form of speaking, my first value that I came up in that homework assignment was curiosity. And it was the joy of curiosity. And the, it's like, that's almost just like come out of it. You know what I mean? Which is, which is really cool. It's like evolved into that. Yeah, I did think it might have something to do with South Africa. I thought that the lion piece. But, but as for the curious, that, that's super interesting. Would you mind telling us quickly what your company does for, for businesses? Yeah, so we we help companies create custom training experiences for their employees and typically for cohort-based stuff. So it's often like onboarding for new hires, onboarding new managers, so like career transition type stuff. And what we really nailed and, and focused in on since COVID really was helping clients think through how to do this in a virtual setting. And so it's now it's very focused on this hybrid format of We'll take your content, your ideas. We'll, we'll turn that into, into pre-training through videos. And we also curate outside resources. Clients are starting to get very comfortable with that. Like, you know, people, there are so many great ideas out there, radical candor, growth mindset. Like, and there's so many great resources on these types of ideas that, you know, why not, you know, get people, not everyone's reading those books, right? So let's get them to read them. Let's share videos, TED talks, that kind of stuff. That's kind of a cool element. So we do create the pre-training and then we design these live sessions so that they can bring people together to learn how to reflect and apply and all of the good things we've talked about. That sounds fantastic. And so I, I know I've already taken quite a lot of your time. I'm about to switch to my my quick fire round. Is there anything else that you'd like to add for our listeners before we go into these? No, just that this has been so much fun. Please keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Good. All right. So this is a question that I heard from another podcaster and I I thought that was wonderful. Can you tell me about an act of kindness that has touched your life? So yeah, the the one that comes to mind is just a a friend of ours when our son was born uh, 15 months ago. And like a lot of our friends sent us gifts and stuff, very, very kind. But this one particular friend put together a box with like, I don't know, 20 or 30 little items in it for kids, like for, for having a newborn. And and then wrote a probably six page letter that was in the box explaining the purpose behind every item in the box and just like how much and they, they had, they had both their kids already and just, you know, how excited they were for us that we were having our first, you know, firstborn and, 
And just like, it was just my wife and I, we sat down and we were just on the couch going through this box, reading the notes and just like bawling, just crying, like nonstop. And it was just so beautiful and so, so thoughtful that, that she took the time or both of them took the time to, to do that. It was just, it was amazing. So, so, so touching. That's beautiful. I also just realized, so your son was born what month of 2020? March, the weekend that the lockdowns started in New York. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't even imagine what that must've been like. It was, it was crazy. I mean, we were also blessed in a way that we had all this time together. We didn't go anywhere. We just, you know, just three of us and we couldn't connect with our friends. That was, and family, that was the hard part, Mm. but like, yeah, I mean, we, we spent a lot of great time together as a, as a family. So it has your son it called? A, his name's Leo. Uh, <laughs> good one. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to hear that. That's wonderful. Yeah. What is your favorite word? Oh, I, I was thinking about this and I went through a few just for like the beauty of the word, how it like looks and feels to me. But I think the... Oh, I'm sorry. Can I do this again? What's yeah. your favorite word? That you would maybe tattoo on yourself that you could live with. Oh, wow. Okay. That changes it. (laughs) That definitely changes it. Um, And maybe not. Maybe not. I, maybe I'll stick with it. So the word I was going to say was, yeah, I'd I'd be cool with this, was joy. The, I think it's just such a, it's a, it's a nice mouthfeel, the word itself. I like, I like how it feels. And also just the, it's something that's recently come through a lot for me. A lot of the feedback I got from ODCC was just like, you bring so much joy to teaching. And I was like, yes, thank you. Like, that's what I, that's what I wanted to come across. And and it wasn't something I set out to try and come across. It's just, you know, that talk about authentic, right? I just, I enjoy this. I'm glad others found that could see that joy and, and maybe share in it a bit. So yeah, I think joy would be the word. Yeah, that sounds very, very good to me. (laughs) Now, a harder question, I think, even, is what song best represents you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so I think when I first hear that, my my thoughts go straight to uh, Bob Dylan. And I don't, I can't pick out any particular song. I can actually pick out one particular lyric, which is, he not busy being born is busy dying which comes from It's All Right, Ma. Yeah, just to me that I, I actually took that, put it on my website when I was doing Rite of Passage and we were coming up with an About Us page. I just think that encapsulates me so much. Like I do feel at times I felt I've been, I'm restless. I want to keep moving forward. I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. And I, so I think he not busy being born is busy dying. I really, I really like that. That's amazing. Um, yeah, but the rest of the song is actually pretty like political as most of Bob Dylan's stuff is. So it's probably not the, the best overall song to, to describe me. The other one that comes to mind is Bob Marley, the other Bob and jamming. The like at the, one of those core values is playful. Like I'm, that is, it, there will be a lot of people back in South Africa who would look at me now and be like, Oh wow, you got like quite serious with life. You know, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was very, um, very playful and, and relaxed and chilled out back in South Africa. And, and I think that's still a big part of me and I'm connecting back with that now. So we jamming. That's, that's very special. I love that. What did you want to be when you were a kid? CEO of a company. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was very set out on, I mean, as a, as a young kid, no, but I suppose as a young kid, it was like, I wanted to be, 
I want to be like a professional sportsman, like just to be able to play that, play sport forever, like get paid for that, been amazing. But yeah, once I like realistically started thinking about it, it was to be to to be in corporate life, to be like the the CEO of a company, which is which is crazy to think back on. Mm. So, what would you say back to your younger self then, if you could send yourself a message? Oh man, I would. It's a. I love that question. I'd say that you don't have to have it all figured out. No one does actually. Um, and we're, we're constantly figuring it out and you will constantly be figuring it out. And that's actually okay. That's yeah. That's a good one. Now, what's the best advice you've ever been given? There's so much. I think a lot of the stuff we've talked about has has manifested from that. One that just a different one that comes to mind is in a business context was that your customers will tell you what they want what they want your product to be. That was a huge re- re- realization for me. I went into it thinking it was going to be one thing and the business completely evolved into something else. And in the early days, like I resist, I didn't resist that, but I wasn't aware of that. And so it just took me a while to like realize that now, like with this new, a new thing we, we, we're launching and we just know the importance of that. And just now like realize that that's really what the, listening to what the customer wants is, is half the battle and, and half the key to, to everything you do. Now, what book is next to your bed or what book is on your desk? There's actually a bunch. Um, so they're all actually next to my bed right now. So I'm reading Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0 by Jim Collins, a bit more of a like business book, which is a nice summary of a lot of his work. I've always been a huge fan of, of him and, and his ideas. I've also got a friend of mine, Hassan Kaba, who was actually a uh, mentor, oh, yeah. peer supporter for us. Uh, and his book, The Unfair Advantage or Your Unfair Advantage, which I'm... Going to crack open as soon as I finish Jim Collins. Um, and then I'm also reading The Power Broker, which is the story of Robert Moses, the guy who sort of architected New York City. And that's like, to me, that's a fun book. So you might, that's why a lot of people think I got really serious because that's not, not fun to a lot of people, but I, it's, it's got that historical, it's historical truth, right? Or, or it's history. And so I love reading about people and their accomplishments and the history and the context that surrounded that. Mm. These are very interesting. Thank you. I feel like I asked this question just so that I can add to my own yeah. list. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if you saw the number of books I've bought in the past three months, it's actually embarrassing. Who is one person that you think we should all know about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I thought about this a bit. I went with my, my sort of intuition, which is someone that my gut feel is that people, not many people will know about this guy. Um, his name was Shaka Zulu. And some people may know like the mythical name, right? Yeah. So, but, and some people think of it and there, like there is a, a mythical connotation to it as well. I've always been, I've always read about him. I've got a bunch of books in South Africa and I want to actually start writing about it because he was actually a tactical genius in that, you know, he was mobilizing a, a people that were extremely overpowered by the British, you know, armies that were inhabiting South Africa they were the indigenous people, but completely out, outmanned, outgunned, all that sort of thing. And he mobilized this, this people. It was in a military context, but just, you know, bringing the community together, bringing the training, these incredible warriors, fighters, commanding the way he commanded that army and, and the strategies that he employed, like helped them survive for a lot, lot longer than they ever should have or ever could have against the might of the British Empire. And um, yeah, so it's just, there's so many great lessons in, in what he did and 
um, yeah, he, he was also not perfect. Like all people, like Nelson Mandela is another person I've studied a lot. And he is the first to admit he's, you know, he was not a great husband, not a great father to, to through a lot of his life, but obviously did a lot of other great things. So I also like that sort of elements of it where no one's perfect and, and there are, you know, lessons to be learned there. But yeah, I mean, go study Shaka Zulu. Some of, like there are actual innovations in battle that, that he came up with, which were incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. And then let's finish with my favorite question. What brings you happiness? Yeah. So I, I used to think a lot and, and still do to, to some extent, but I used to be completely consumed around progress, accomplishment, achievements, those kind of things. And I think the benefits of the past year we've been in through the having a son during that time, you know, getting a bit older, all of these kind of things. I, I am starting to realize the, the power, the, the beauty, the significance in my life of just a simple, the simple life, just time with family and time with my son, like getting to know people, especially the last six months was so busy. I had lost touch with a few friends and started like reconnecting with them. And there's just so much joy that comes out of that, like connecting with people and just like catching up. You know, those really great friends that you don't talk for six months, but then you talk as though it was six days ago. And, you know, so there's, I get a lot of happiness out of that. And, and, and related to all of this, a day where you wake up and there's just no commitment, nothing that you have to do. And just like, just the whole expanse ahead of you to kind of do whatever you want. That makes Mm. me happy. Yeah, that definitely sounds good. <laughs> I'm really yearning for a holiday. So yeah, <laughs> that, right? that really yeah. resonates with me. Andrew, thank you so much um, for giving me so, so much of your time and um, for being very generous with your knowledge and your know-how. Uh, where can people find you if they'd like to seek you out? So the best place they want to get in touch is, is through Twitter, um, mm-hmm. at Bazaruto. I will, I will respond. I check all the DMs respond there. So that's, that's definitely the best place. It's sort of like my top of funnel of new ideas and stuff I'm sharing always goes on that. Once I've refined that, uh, and you want to, to dig a little bit deeper into things, go to curiouslionlearning.com. Cool. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much, Anne. I really, really enjoyed this. You're an excellent host. Thank you so much to Andrew for being on the show today. You can find him, as he mentioned, online at CuriousLionLearning.com or on Twitter at Bazaruto, and all the details are included in the show notes. Hey, friends and listeners, so thanks again for your time today. If you want to hear more, you can go to your favorite podcast app. I don't know which one it is for you. After years of being dedicated to Apple Podcast, I am starting to move my sites to Spotify. Um, but I would appreciate if you would hit the subscribe button and even leave us a review. I love to hear from you. So in case you want to connect, you can get in touch with me directly at Anvi on Twitter, at Anvi on Instagram, or on LinkedIn. The details are in the show notes because, you know, <laughs> you might not be able to spell my name. You can also follow the show at underscore out of the clouds on Instagram, where I also share some guided meditations and daily musings about mindfulness. You will very soon 
Find all of my projects and podcast episodes at anvimulatala.com and you can sign up to receive email updates on all the fun things I am doing. So that's it. Thanks again for being here. I hope that you will join us again next time. Until then, be well, be safe, take care.